The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Oh, we got a fun one today. Uh, Listen, have you ever known someone or been around someone who um, had a conversation with someone who was just so passionate about something that no matter what it is that you're talking to them about, they will find a way to bring up that that special something that they are passionate about? Um, Several years ago, I'm going to pick on some people, but this is a long time ago, so I think it's okay, Uh, when CrossFit was massive. If you remember anything about that movement, everyone was just crossfitting. I'm not even sure that's a verb, but they were doing it. And um, there was this saying a couple years ago that how can you tell if someone does crossfit, don't worry, they'll tell you. That was the saying. And uh, because here's the thing, they were really passionate about it. Like they were, they believed in it, it was their health, it was their community, it was their everything, their blood, their sweat, their tears. And so they geeked out about it. They evangelized about it, told everyone how great it was. So you could be talking to them about their sick mother. And somehow, some way, you'd find yourself talking about CrossFit in the middle of that conversation. That's how bad it was, if you remember. And um, here's the thing, though. When you're passionate about something, it's hard not to talk about it. It's hard not to geek out about it. I pick on CrossFit people, but we all have our stuff, don't we? I don't know what your stuff is, but we all have our stuff. Like, uh, uh, for, for me, I do the same thing. You can ask my wife. I do the same thing, and I will just geek on and rant on about cycling. She doesn't ask me to do this. I just, I just do, and I start talking about all kinds of stupid things like arrow wheels and watts and threshold and all this stuff that no one cares about, and she hasn't asked me, but I just can't help it. I can't help it. We all do this. It just, no matter how reserved you are, you might be really reserved It doesn't matter. If you're passionate enough about something, you'll geek out about it publicly. Can't help yourself, right? Um, Here's the thing. If we were to zoom out in our text in 1 Timothy, if we were to zoom out a little bit from our text uh, in 1 Timothy, I believe that that is exactly what we are seeing in this text today. We are seeing Paul absolutely geek out in the middle, just, just can't help himself. Like we see him here, he's writing to this young pastor, we've been talking about this, he has important things to say, it, the church is being attacked, that matters, and you need to do something about this, and, and he's writing about all of this, telling Timothy how to engage, and then if you notice, last week his tone kind of changed, and he started to talk, it became personal, and he started to talk about his testimony And then all of a sudden, Paul just goes off. He goes off like this passionate, divinely inspired gospel rabbit trail. He just runs down. He cannot help himself. He geeks out. He just goes off on this gospel rant. And I love this. Does that ever happen to you? Does that ever happen to you? We just can't help it. It just bubbles up. And where evangelism is no longer this shame, I should do this more. Why don't I do this more, right? But it becomes this natural response to you geeking out 
about what Jesus has done in your life. It, what we see here, um, like CrossFit or cycling for me, we see here Paul bubbling up. And, and, and I got to ask, like, how often do we do that? Like, just think about that. How often do we just go down a passionate gospel rabbit trail and we just can't help ourselves? I think we need to do it more often. But that's what we see in our text. And what we see here, we see verses 1 through 11 in 1 Timothy are all Paul being pretty direct and on point. Verse 12, he goes, he goes, he goes, he's going, he's going full blast. And then if you notice verse 18, he's like, oh my goodness, we're back. And he comes back. We are in the middle, church, in other words, of a, of a full-blown gospel rabbit trail that Paul is throwing us into. And I love it. We see it like this. And we're going to see if this thing works. Um, if you could get me the first slide. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. All right. It says this. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, verse 12 says. And here we go. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, as we looked at last week. And then verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And this gets us to our text. And listen to this. Listen to this gospel rant that he goes into here. Listen to this. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is in mid-sentence. Paul does this, by the way. And it's like right here, he just goes, oh, take a breath. I mean, what just, what just happened here? He just rants on, and it sounds, it sounds a lot like that's the end of his letter. But church, it's not the end of his letter. It's right in the beginning. It's right smack in the beginning. If you look at verse 18, Paul picks up right where he left off. Again, in verse 11, he jumps right back in. But here we have this divinely God-inspired rabbit trail. And I love that we have this. I love that we have this. Um, Paul is geeking out about the gospel in his life. That's what he's doing. And this morning, we have one big question. One big question that we are going to ask and answer this morning, and it is this. Why did God save you? Why did God save you? In our text, why did God save Paul? Why does God save any of us, honestly? That is a big question. It's an important question. I think it's a question that we need to stop and we need to consider together. Why did God save you? I think this, the answer to this question, by the way, I think, I know it was for me, it's better than you can ever imagine. Um, our text today is just 16, 17, but honestly, 15 has to be brought into this as well. There's no rule against that, so I'm just going to do it anyway. Uh, verse 15, again, if you look, actually, instead of this, because it's not, just leave that up there. 
Cool? We don't need it. Here we go. Um, verse 15. This means you're going to have to follow hard. So sorry. Follow with me. Verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is Paul's way of making a statement to get our full attention. It's like, kids, kids, look at me, look at me. That's what he's saying here. And then he says that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Meaning, in verse 15, Christ came into the world not for the perfect people. Those, can't find any of those. Um, Not for people who have it all figured out. Not for people who are, are powerful or strong, the cream of the crop. No, Jesus didn't come for the self-sufficient ones or any of those who don't think they need a savior. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. Those who know they have sinned and fallen short, those who know they can't save themselves, those who know they're not righteous or worthy on their own. Jesus said it's not, it's the sick ones who need a doctor. And then scripture calls him the great physician. Jesus came to save sinners. That's what we see here. And then we see that this statement includes Paul. So last week, Paul shares his testimony, and it was rough. He had done things that in his life that were horrendous. But the most horrible part of his testimony is at one point in time, he thought he didn't need a savior. He thought he could do it on his own. That's probably the saddest part of his entire testimony. Self-righteousness. But after all that, after all the sin, Paul says... But I received mercy. But I received mercy. That's in our text in verse 16. Paul, mercy means Paul didn't get the punishment he rightly deserved because Christ took it on his behalf um, and gave him grace, unmerited favor and love. And this tees up the question. This tees it up so perfectly. Tees up our question this morning. Why? Why? Why did God do that? Why would God show him this kind of mercy and this kind of grace? And Paul says, verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason. For this reason. In other words, here's the why. Here we go. That in me as the foremost. What is that? The foremost is a reference to last week, the foremost of sinners. Paul's referencing his own life, all those things he's not exactly proud of. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his, not just patience, I love this, his perfect patience. Um, That's awesome. I mean, it's really, really good news. His patience is not like yours or mine, which has a limit. Uh, Jesus here, his patience is perfect. And, And Paul says, God showed mercy on me so that the perfect patience of Jesus could be what? displayed. Displayed. It's an important word. Display something is to show it off. It's to show it off. It's to make it visible, to exhibit it. When you display something, you make sure it's known. You don't hide it away. You make sure it's known. It stands out. Make sure that thing is well lit. You display it. Um, And Paul says, God showed mercy on me so that the perfect patience of Jesus could be displayed, exhibited, showed off. And who? To who? Well, verse 16 says, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
So Paul's life, his story was to be a testimony of God's mercy, to show off the perfect patience of Jesus, and it was to serve as this example that all might see and believe in Jesus. So they can see and know not how good Paul was um, or how bad he was and now how good he is in comparison. That's not it. It wasn't about Paul at all. Paul's story was a story of God's mercy. To show off the perfect patience of Jesus so that others might see and know Jesus. Um, that others might believe in Jesus. Now, um, church... That's what a testimony really is, by the way. Just a little pause here. That's what a testimony is, or at least should be, all about. When you share your story, it is not so that you can show off or display yourself. When you share your story, your testimony, church, it's not to say, look how bad I am or was, look how good I am now, look how far I've come. Church, a true testimony is so that you can show off and display Jesus how good he is, how patient he is, the mercy. So in other words, your story is not given to you so that you can make much of yourself. Your story is given to you so that you can make much of Jesus. Let that sink. Let that sink sink in so that in you, others might see Jesus on display, be drawn to him. Your story is not meant to display you. It's meant to display Jesus. It's why you have your story, your testimony. And I want to I bring something out because at the heart of it, I think we need to be careful about something. Um, if we're not careful, we're not thinking about this carefully, I think we can start to misunderstand and misapply the gospel. And uh, to ourselves and to others. And now, hear me. I'm not suggesting that any of you would say what I'm about to say outright. Okay? Um, but I am suggesting that if you're not careful, you can start to believe this ever so subtly or start to communicate this ever so subtly to yourself and to others. If we aren't careful, here's what I mean. We can start to believe that God shows us grace when we have done something to deserve it. God shows us grace when we have done something to deserve it. That is a completely nonsensical statement. Complete and utter nonsense. Grace is undeserved favor. So saying that God shows us undeserved favor when we deserve it is insane. Yet it can sink in. Yet we can start to believe the nonsense. See, deserved grace is no longer grace by definition. You earn a wage. You earn a wage, and Scripture is so clear about the wage you earned. Scripture is so clear that all of sin falls short of the glory of God, and the wages of that, what you've earned, your wage is death. That's the wage. That's what you've earned. Scripture is very clear on this. But the gift of God is grace. Scripture says, but God, rich in mercy. You're saved by grace through faith, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Grace and mercy. So your testimony in Christ, your testimony is a testimony of mercy and grace. Completely. That's the only testimony there is in Jesus. That's the only kind you have. One of grace and one of mercy. And um, your, because your testimony 
is, is not about you. It means that it's all about him. It's meant to display him and point to him, to make much of him and not much of you. That's why you have it. And so I, I want to I ask the question again, why? Why did God show Paul mercy? Why did God save Paul? Why, did God, why does God save us, forgive us, bring us into his family? Why? I want to answer this question with three things. Each of these three things are going to go a little deeper, okay? As we seek to answer this question, we're going to look at three things. We're going to go deeper, and what you're going to see is it is a never-ending, glorious, amazing, wonderful, whatever adjective you want to use, spiral. And I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to dig into this. So why did God save you? Number one, I asked it like 10 minutes ago, and I made you wait. Number one, why did God save you? First and foremost, I don't want you to miss this. It's because of his great love. Because of his great love. Um, this is rooted, the, he saves us. It's rooted deeply in the character and nature of God. Scripture says God is love. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. Um, we, we read in, in 1 John 4.8, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Church, right off the bat, do not miss this, right off the bat, you are saved, God saved you because of his great love. Love, number one. By the way, it's not because you are lovely or lovable. Number one, because of his perfect love for you. That is first. Let's go a level deeper um, to see another aspect of this. Why did God save you? Well, his love, his perfect patience, and also why? Number two, so that God might display his love and per perfect patience to the watching world around you. Why did God save you? Well, it's so others might see and know Christ through you, that others might see and know his mercy and grace through you. In other words, God saved you, brother and sister, so that you may be a witness. Amen. That you may be a witness that others might see and believe. God showed his mercy to you so that you might be a witness to others about the goodness and love and grace and mercy of God. If we take this in. Paul is going on and on and on here about his testimony, how God saved him and Christ transformed him and called him into ministry. And Paul is so clear. He understands. He says, I receive mercy for this reason. If you look at our text, I receive mercy for this reason. Paul understands that his life, it was messy, messed up. His story was given to him to display the perfect patience of Jesus for all who would know him, see him, and believe him. That he may use Paul as an example of those around him. That Paul would be this gospel object lesson for the world to see. Church, your life. is meant to be a gospel object lesson for the world around you. 
And yet often, we can turn into what I call gospel hoarders, little gospel hoarders, where, where we get and get and get and get and we accumulate and accumulate and we hoard it all up like it's ours to hoard. Listen, the gospel, the good news of Jesus in your life is not for you to hoard or to keep. It is to share. Jesus says this clearly. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. City on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, why did God show mercy on you? Why did he save you? First, because of his great love for you. Because of how good he is. His goodness, mercy, his faithfulness, his patience. Second, so that you may be a gospel display. A living, breathing gospel object lesson. I want to do one more thing before I move on. Um, uh, One more thing, just to bring something else out here. I understand that not all testimonies are the same. I want to pretend for a moment that I were to take this mic right here, and we're going to put it right here. You got some stairs. And we're going to take turns one by one. Everyone in this room is going to come up and share their story. Calm down. I'm not going to do that. But we'd be here all day. It'd be probably the most memorable day of your life. It really would be. Um, But we would all just come and share. Listen, we would hear all kinds of stories, all kinds of testimonies. We'd hear some stories that may be rated R, others that are PG-13, others that are PG and G. You know what I mean. Um, it's sad, but I bring this up because I've noticed something. I've been in the church all my life, and um, I have noticed something over and over and over and over and over again, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it testimony envy. Um, testimony envy. Uh, where we think, well, my testimony is not as good as his or hers. Like, um, I wasn't like a drug, drug trafficking addict who spent time in prison like he did. Like, my story is just all out boring compared to them, right? Um, my story just is not as big. It's not as crazy. It's boring. I don't have much to share, right? Listen, church, we need to full stop on that mess. Like, Full stop. Because first of all, first of all, um, anytime God saves a sinner, it is an unbelievable miracle. Just anytime spiritually blind eyes are open to see Jesus, it is an unbelievable miracle of God. It is incredible, and it's a testimony that needs to be shared. Number two, your story of God's grace must be shared. Because God in his sovereignty gave you that story. You might not understand why. You might not. You might not see it. You might not get how incredible it is right now. But you, I'll go back to the words of our text, receive mercy for this reason. That in you, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to all those in your life who will hear that they may believe him for eternal life. Listen, here's my story. You ready? Um, Jesus saved me at a very young age. I have parents who love and follow Jesus. 
I grew up in the church. I uh, came to faith in the third grade. God opened my eyes to my sin and to Jesus and what he's done. Now, did I understand all the intricate aspects of theology? No, I was a third grader. I did not. But here's the miracle. I mean, the more I think about this, I realize how truly incredible this really is. From that moment in the third grade, church, God gripped my young heart. Um, he just gripped my young heart. And, and in that moment, I believed Jesus for my salvation. I believed that Jesus did what he said he did. I believed he came. I believed he died. I believed he rose. I believed in Jesus. I believed. God opened my heart, and I believed in him, and he has not let me go. <laughs> he hasn't let me go. That is, an, that is amazing. So my story, my testimony it's not boring. It's incredible. That is absolutely incredible because God has been so good in my life. I was a kid who believed in Christ in the third grade. I went through my middle school years, those awkward middle school years, high school years, somehow still awkward, um, college years, got married, had kids, and, and the whole time. Christ held me the entire time. From that moment, Christ held me. He saved me. I got to tell you, I love my story. I love my story. Um, I, my story might not have those impressive like before and after pictures, like yours might. Man, my story is a story of God's saving and sustaining grace as he has walked with me through all of the ups, all of the downs, and everything in between in life. I'm a dad, and um, I know that God's got a unique story for each and every one of my kids. I wouldn't be upset, though, if they had a story like mine. I came to realize just how incredible of a testimony that God has given me in his love and his grace that he would look down on a mischievous little third grader and that he would let me see and understand the gospel. Um, listen, I, um, my story's not for me to hoard or keep to myself. It's meant to be displayed. And maybe your story is a little bit like mine. Maybe yours is more on the rated R side. I don't know. But what I do know is it's given to you so you can share. So that you can display. So that you can display Jesus. We need to put an end to the nonsense of testimony envy. Just put an end to it. Your story, maybe this is why you're here this morning, your story is worthy to share. Your story is worthy to share. It's not yours. The, 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 that old hymn that says, this is my story, this is my song, it's not yours. It's his for you to share. Do you know how to share your story? Have you ever shared your testimony before? Are you willing to share your testimony? I promise I'm not gonna get the mic, but are you willing God saved you because of his great love for you so that you can be a light to share your story that others may know him. 
This is so important, but I will move on because there is one more, and this is perhaps, not even perhaps, scripture, according to scripture, this is the most important reason of all. There is an even more foundational reason that holds everything together, and it's what Paul points to in verse 17. In verse 17, Paul says this, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, ultimately, God saved you for his glory. God saved you for his glory. This is critically important, and yet, at the same time, it sounds just like a bunch of churchy words. So I'm going to do my best to really drill down in why this matters. Um, All of this, all of creation, even your own salvation, all of it is to bring glory to him. Paul describes God in four ways in our verse. Quickly, he says the king of ages. This is depicting the sovereign king over all time and all things from eternity to eternity. Secondly, he says God immortal, showing he's the God who doesn't change. He doesn't get old. He doesn't get sick. He's perfectly the same yesterday, today, and forever. God Invisible, meaning holy other, transcendent. Um, It reminds me of Colossians that says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Firstborn of all creation. And then lastly, to the only God, meaning there's none like him, none that compare to him, none on the same level to him, no true competitors, right? And it's to him, the only true, sovereign, eternal, invisible God, Paul says, that all honor and glory is rightly directed. Okay, I want to camp here for just a little bit. Um, I really think we can struggle with this idea quite a bit in the church, and I fully understand why. Um, When we think about God's glory, I think we can struggle with this. And yet, at the same time, we got to be honest that God's glory is kind of the central theme in this. It's important we get it, and yet it can just baffle our minds at times. So I'm going to do my best to walk through this, although it might sound a little complex. Follow with me, because this just blew my mind this, this week. This has been a good week. Um, I think we can struggle with this idea of God's glory, though, for good reason. And here it is. Think about this. If you were to be all about getting glory for yourself... It would be wrong, selfish, foolish, and no one would want to be your friend. And yet we're told in Scripture that God is all about getting glory for himself. So me glorifying myself, wrong. God glorifying himself, yes. Others glorifying me, wrong. The whole world glorifying God, yes. Me glorifying myself, selfish. God glorifying himself, the greatest form of love ever. Okay, what's going on here? I can see why this is hard, why this is hard to see this. And and listen, there are two things that are so important to understand, and they play with each other. Here we go. Uh, Number one, God's love for you, we've already talked about this, is perfect, absolutely perfect. And number two, our greatest joy, please hear me, and satisfaction in this life is in God alone. So God loves you perfectly, and our greatest joy is in him alone. Because both of those are true, church, follow with me, follow the logic here, because both of those are true, God's 
perfect love for you requires that he be the center. God's perfect love for you requires his glory. This might sound really philosophical. It kind of is, but it's not at the same time. This is so important. Um, When you, listen, when you place glory on you, on your shoulders, you try to glorify yourself, you place a weight on your shoulders that you cannot bear, and it crushes you. You crush under the weight of that because we make horrible gods, okay? Um, When we glorify ourselves, we miss the most glorious thing in all of creation, and we're crushed under the weight. And so the single most loving thing that your God can do is to glorify himself, to be glorified, and to receive all glory from creation. Because in this, in glorifying our God, we find our deepest meaning, fulfillment, and purpose. In this, in glorifying God, by the way, glorifying, it's a word that just means worship. It means placing our affection, our attention, our focus, our words, our actions to make much of. That's what glorifying means. There's a a catechism, um, an old catechism from the Westminster Shorter Catechism that asks, what's the chief end of all man? And uh, you might have heard this, um, but, but it's man's chief end, it says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And because that is true, God's great love is displayed for you in his glory. I want to go back to our question. Why did God save you? Yes, it is because he loves you. Yes, it's because he wants you to be a witness of the good news so that others may see. But ultimately, beneath all of that, He saved you in order to bring glory to himself. Because in bringing glory to himself, all creation finds its rightful place. In bringing glory to himself, we find our ultimate satisfaction and our ultimate joy. In bringing glory to himself, you and I find our great purpose. He saved you for his glory and your salvation brings him glory. By the way, this is why idolatry is such a big deal in Scripture. Thou shalt not have any other God before me. Um, idolatry, all it is, is misplaced glory. It's, it's taking the glory due to God and giving it to someone or something else. And when this happens, it's death. It's just detrimental. It's death. Everything breaks. But when we understand the glory of God and the centrality of the glory of God, when Christ is the center, then everything else finds its place in life. Everything. All of a sudden, everything finds its place. We were made, created, to find our ultimate joy and satisfaction in God alone. You were made to glorify God. That is why you are made. This is pure joy and love and satisfaction. It is how God created you. So I want to ask again, why did God save you? Church, in saving you, God is ultimately restoring you back to your ultimate purpose. The purpose you were created for. God is glorifying himself, and in that, 
He's giving you the greatest joy and the greatest satisfaction that you can possibly experience because it's how you were created to operate. Before Christ, we talked about our stories. Before Christ, no matter what your life looked like, no matter what your background, no matter what, how old you were, no matter. Before Christ, like Paul, you were the center of your, of your world. And when Jesus came, he saved you from that horrible life of you being the center. He saved you from you because the most miserable life on the planet is the self-centered life. So your God demonstrates his great love, perfect patience by sending Christ to die for you to save you, that he would receive all glory and all honor. Okay. Why did God save you? I keep asking it. I'm going to keep hammering this in. He saved you to glorify himself. Because his love for you is deep, because he wants you to witness that love to others, that others may come to know him and therefore glorify him. Do you see this wonderful circle that is happening before us? He saved you to glorify him because of his love, and you are a witness of that, that others may glorify him. That is just, here's the invitation this morning. Stop spinning your wheels. The selfish life is a bankrupt life. Come to Christ, look to Christ, and share your story that makes much of Christ so that Christ receives all glory that is his. Um, I was going to put this on the screen. You're going to have to just trust me, okay? Um, I, uh, half of this is mine, and the other half is John Piper's. Um, he doesn't know that we've teamed up, okay? He doesn't know this. But I think if you put these together, it just summarizes this so incredibly well. Number one, this is my part, we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. We, well, they are so good. We are most satisfied when God is most glorified. And then as Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Put those together. How incredible is this? I mean, we are most satisfied when God is most glorified, and God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. This is a wonderful circle that just goes and goes. This is a never ending, wonderful cycle, and it's the way we are designed to function. That is life in the garden, church. It's the way we're designed to function. That's shalom. It's paradise. It's absolutely mind-blowing, and it is so easy to see why Paul gets so distracted and geeks out for several verses and loses track of thought because this is incredible. I, I could honestly keep going, but I'm not. I'm not. This is a good time to push pause, okay? Um, I'm going to push pause here, and I want to give us a moment to respond together. And I want to close in a little bit of a different way. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me. I'm not getting the microphone for testimony time, I promise. Um, not going to do it. Um, if you could, guys, if you could put that last verse on the screen. Thank you. Um, 
I would like for us to just end our time in kind of a responsive reading of God's word together. And um, I would like for us to end by reading verse 17 out loud together as his people. I'm telling I'm going to get goosebumps after talking about what we just talked about and then reading this together. Um, Here we go. Let's read this together. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever, ever. Amen.